0: Welcome to the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast from the Institute of Transportation Engineers. Each month, we'll bring you conversations with thought leaders in transportation on the future of the industry. You can join us for another edition of ITE Talks Transportation. My name is Bernie Wagenblast. How can we make transportation more accessible and equitable for low-income and underserved populations as well as vulnerable users? Well, it's a topic addressed in the February 2020 issue of the ITE Journal. Our guest on this month's edition of the podcast is the co-author of that article, Tamika Butler. She's the Director of Equity and Inclusion, as well as California Planning Director for Tool Design in Los Angeles. Tamika, welcome to ITE Talks Transportation. Thanks so much for having me, Bernie. Talking about your title, as I just noted, you're the Director of Equity and Inclusion at Tool Design. Tell me a bit what that role involves, if you would, please. Sure. So at Tool Design, as the
1: Director of Equity and Inclusion, I am doing a couple of things. And so some of it is internal facing. and My background is as an employment lawyer, and so I work with HR thinking about policies, procedures, culture trainings, things we can be doing internally to change the diversity, equity, and inclusion at Tool Design as a company. And that includes overseeing all of our DEI, what we call it for short, efforts and our internal DEI task force, which is working on a number of initiatives related to recruiting, hiring, retention, um, creating trainings and resources and marketing materials. So all of those things are under my purview internally. And then externally, I'm also our practice lead for our equity work. And what we're seeing from clients is that more and more places are trying to figure out how to infuse equity into their projects, into their organizations. And so when people reach out um, anywhere across our company and we have offices all over the United States and, and two offices in Canada. We're really trying to figure out, you know, how can we best serve them and help help these clients integrate equity into their work in the same way we're doing. And so it's both project related and, and internal related.
0: I'm curious when tool design first approached you about taking on this role, what did they tell you about it? And are you the first person to take this position in tool?
1: I'm the first person to have the official Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion title, but I definitely follow behind. Um, I have a colleague that runs our Denver, Colorado office, Jessica Fields, who is really leading the diversity, equity, and inclusion work at our firm before I got here. And she's phenomenal, someone I continue to look up to go to for inspiration, go to for questions and thought partnering. Um, And so she's definitely been a part of it. And then Jennifer Toole is the the boss, the, the CEO, the founder of our company. She personally is invested in this work, and that really ties to what she told me When she asked me to take this job, that this was something that was really important to tool design, whether or not I came, and it was something they were going to do whether or not I let it, and that it's something they had been working on well before I got here, and she wanted me to be a part of it, but also she didn't want to assume that I wanted to be a part of it. Um, Just because I was a woman of color didn't mean that it was my job to do this work and that my colleagues um, and those who were already here had to be parts of this work. And so I think that was a compelling reason um, for me to want to get involved, knowing that there was the leadership at the very top who understood how important this was, articulated how important it was,
0: and was really willing to make a commitment to it. When you talk about the outward-facing side of your job, and you're dealing with different organizations that are looking at how to make their projects more equitable and inclusive, what are some of the things that you would tell them in a general sense of how you do that? One of the things that's really difficult about equity
1: work is that there isn't a, a one-size-fits-all solution. So when folks come to to me or come to us at Tool Design, Part of our role is to be someone who can ask you the tough questions, think through what's happening, and propose solutions, while also acknowledging that when someone comes and says, hey, what's that equity toolkit that we can kind of just roll out? The first step in any equity toolkit for folks who really genuinely care about equity is to start asking questions and look at the local context and realize that there is really no perfect toolkit. It's whatever that situation, that community, that project demands and really being present in that discomfort I think that sometimes folks in our industry have because there are certain ways to do things and equity is saying, hey, the way we've done things isn't necessarily what's always been working and I, I believe at Tool Design that's that's why folks love working with us because we're helping push that way of thinking. You know, the the traditional Framework of how folks approach transportation, thinking about engineering and education and enforcement, is about you know, a hundred years old. And and it puts us in these silos of thinking that really aren't rigid enough to encounter and to face and to solve some of the problems that we're facing. Because when someone shows up at a community meeting about a transportation project, they're thinking about so much. They're thinking about what this transportation project is going to do to their affordability and ability to stay in a community. They're thinking about whether or not they had a chance to eat and where can they eat in their community they're thinking about why the public transit isn't ever on time. They're thinking about child care and how they're going to do all the things they need to do at home. And so sometimes when we go into these meetings and we're not able to think about anything other than our transportation project, we're not really prepared. And that's why we always say you have to come with that approach that has that empathy for folks, um, that is placing equity at the center, and that is really thinking ethically what's the right thing to do. And the right thing to do is often to to listen and to figure out what is the situation calling for, even if it's not what I would typically do.
0: You talked about being a woman of color, and you're also gender nonconforming. Do you think your personal experiences, do you think all of that contributes to your empathy and understanding and how you view these types of projects and how to make them more inclusive? 100%.
1: You know, and and it's, it's one of the reasons that when folks do come to us and say, how do we implement equity into our projects? And we can say things like, you know, know the history and and think, think about the existing con- conditions and design for all users and you know, use demand analysis. We can, we can do all of those things. But one of the things we often say is you have to start internally. You have to look internally and one, be willing to understand that we're probably going to be talking about things that are uncomfortable. Be willing to understand that diversity, equity, and inclusion are not the same thing and, and you can't use them interchangeably. And you have to be willing to think about who's in power, who are you hiring, who are you retaining, and how are you going to go out into the world and go into communities that... Are different than frankly what our industry looks like. If our industry is predominantly white, if our industries are predominantly male, and you know, across the transportation industry and different professions, we see that. And so then we can't go out to these communities with folks who oftentimes have very similar backgrounds and demographic makeups and then go into communities with different backgrounds and demographic makeups than that and say okay we're going to be able to have empathy and we're going to be able to relate if you diversify internally first then that is easier and with that being said You can't give those folks a pass. You can't have folks who say, well, I'm a white man, so I can't go into the black community or the brown community, or I can't talk to women about the safety struggles they might face using transportation. You have to be willing to say, this doesn't come easy to me, but I'm going to do this work. And you have to have folks who are willing to do that, because right now there aren't enough of us queer, gender, non-conforming people of color in this space to do it all on our own own. Oftentimes we're being asked to, but there's simply not enough of us. And so we have to change both. We have to change that there's more of us. And we also have to change that those of us who fit those descriptions can't do everything. And to to have empathy, again, it goes back to something I previously said, we have to listen. I have a lot of stories about what it is like to be a woman interacting and engaging with transportation both in the professional and personal capacity but as someone who is gender nonconforming who people often see as a black man, a young black man, I am also very keenly aware of what it is like to experience and interact with our transportation system as a young black man and as someone who is married to a white woman who is very different than me, is tall thin, blue eyes we interact together on the transportation system and have very different experiences and part of why she understands not completely my experiences but is able to to look at me and know when I'm upset or when something is not made for me is because she's taken the time to have empathy and to listen and to open herself up to learning and we all
0: have to do that as you work with some of your colleagues and people even outside of tool design that you're working with on various projects what are some of the struggles that they face in terms of learning to listen to be more empathetic particularly if they are white males who perhaps have not dealt with some of these issues and it's foreign to them so how do they learn that and what are some of their struggles in trying to learn about that
1: one of the things that I always tell people is this work is hard, but it's it's worth it. And one of the struggles I hear people face is this is just too much. I have to... I have to think about everything I'm saying, I'm, you know, everyone's so sensitive, people are are getting offended, and I just made a mistake, I didn't mean it, and in those moments when folks are feeling that way, and particularly white folks, or particularly men, or, you know, heterosexual people, or people without disabilities, whenever you're in a situation where someone in a group that perhaps you're not in is expressing something, and, and you start to have those feelings, you have to first realize that what you're exhibiting is is fragility. You're taking this moment and you're making it about yourself instead of being able to center them. And then the other thing you have to realize is this might be a situation where you're really uncomfortable, but imagine how that person must feel all the time. And so what, what I always say to folks is put yourself not in a safe space, but in a brave space. Because recognize that being in a safe space, which is something I think we used to ask for, means that you're really not pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And again, for many of us, for me, I don't ever have safe spaces. I'm never going to really be in spaces where a majority of the people look like me, have similar backgrounds to me. And so to go to work every day, I have to be brave. To do transportation work, I have to be brave. And so the least other other folks can do is try in these moments, especially if they have the privilege where they don't always have to be brave, to really to push themselves to do that. And You know, I think one of the other challenges is that people get defensive. They want you to help them by pointing out when they're doing things that maybe aren't centering equity or diversity or inclusion. And then when you point them out, rather than being able to take a beat and reflect on, on what they might have done to, this, to you know, contribute to the situation, they instead make it about the person who they've specifically asked to help them out with it. And they become really, really defensive. And so it's really, I try to tell people, if you can try to approach these situations with curiosity, then it is easier than approaching it with defensiveness because if you're being curious and you're asking questions and you're trying to explore, then it is really hard to be defensive or angry. And then the last thing I I try to tell people is to have some grace, right, with yourself and with others, to have empathy, to realize that this is hard and that mistakes are going to happen and that you might even cause some damage. And what's tough for folks is that they're so focused on intent. Well, I was trying to do the right thing. I was well-meaning. I didn't intend to cause harm. And they're so focused on intent that they're not really thinking about the impact. And the reality is, even when you mean to do well, if someone, and particularly someone and an underrepresented group, particularly someone who is black, indigenous or a person of color or queer, like if they're telling you that you have done something that has caused harm, then work hard to repair the damage and stay committed to getting better. But be okay that you will make mistakes. And that brings us full circle. If you're just going to acknowledge that some mistakes will be made and do nothing for fear of making a mistake, then you're being brave.
0: It wasn't too many years ago that positions like yours really didn't exist in most companies, but we're seeing more and more positions like yours being created, not just in the transportation industry, but a variety of industries. Why do you think positions like yours are important to be there in the first place? There are more positions like mine
1: being created, and you're 100% right, not just in our transportation industry, but across um, different professions, different industries, different types of Companies, for profits, non-profits, and it's it's important because we have to we have to talk about things. We can't fix something that we're unwilling to talk about. And so, creating these positions is this acknowledgement that we have to start talking about things. Now, the trouble is, do you go beyond talking the talk and actually start doing the work? And then, do you go beyond doing the work to actually demanding and holding yourself accountable for results? and producing those results, and too often these positions are created after something has gone wrong, and people are creating them to say, "Okay, we're going to fix it." We're creating this position, or these positions are created and given to folks without decision making power, without access to the decision maker, without resources. Um, you know, one person tasked with doing many things, and that's really tough. and And you can hire a person or people to do this work but again we always say you have to do the internal work for cultural organizational change because if not you're going to wear those folks out you're going to have you know people who start these jobs and see turnover because if you create something new in a structure that is unwilling to change, then you're not going to be able to change that structure. You're just going to have someone who, again, you're hiring to tell you how you should do things differently, but then constantly saying, but that's not how we do things. And if if the people are not willing to change, then it doesn't matter
0: how many changes are recommended. As you look out there, particularly in the transportation industry, I'm curious, are there any exemplary projects in the industry that have created equitable transportation or are at least in the process of moving toward creating equitable transportation for all? And and if there are those cases out there, what do you think made them successful in the first place? This is such a, a hard question. Whenever, whenever you're doing this work,
1: people always come to you and say, can you point me to an example of where this is going really well? And those of us who have been deemed equity experts usually look around and say, well, if there was a place that was doing it really well, you'd probably hear about it. Um, (laughs) and, And the fact that you're asking me means that you haven't heard about it because people are still really working on it. What's true is that there have always been people talking about equity. Many of those people were black indigenous, folks of color, people with disabilities, older adults, folks who had to talk about this issue because it was crucial to their survival. Now we're seeing um, as a society that more people are starting to, to talk about equity. And it's becoming a buzzword, and particularly in the transportation industry. And I would say... That we're still in this newer place where, despite the fact that many people have been talking about it for a long time, we're just now getting to a place where people with power, people with resources, and people who maybe don't have to talk about it because it's not critical to their survival in their minds are now talking about it. And so we're still in this exploratory stage where people are kind of dipping their toe in the water. I would say that in the city of Seattle, Naomi Dorner at the Department of Transportation is is really doing some fantastic transportation equity work, both trying to use quantitative and qualitative data and research to really put into a structure how how you use it. I would say in Oakland, Ryan Russo, who runs the Department of Transportation, he made national news near the end of the year for their street paving program in their street paving program that was really having a focus on low-income communities of color and how that riled some feathers for some folks in more affluent neighborhoods in Oakland who felt like they needed their potholes repaired, too. And so I think that's a really good case study. And, And Ryan is also doing some really exciting internal work within his agency to see what are the barriers to getting a more diverse workforce? And Oakland as a city has has an equity initiative that really is talking about it on all different levels. I also think that there... Are places. Oftentimes people say, well, you're in L.A. and you only think about West Coast locations. And what I tell people is, is some of the most exciting work that we're doing as a company are in um, our Midwest offices. In Columbus, we're working um, with the state health department on integrating equity um, and built environment and transportation into their work. And sometimes in Midwestern places or in Southeastern places, um, Keith Benjamin, who's the director of the Department of Transportation in Charleston, South Carolina, is doing some great stuff. And it's these cities that folks wouldn't think of, but people are there who care, and they want to figure it out. And sometimes because they're a little bit more nimble because of their size, they're able to try some really innovative stuff. And when you ask what's getting it done, it's the people. It's people committing to doing what's right and to realizing that, as we say at TOOL with our, our new ease, that equity is really dependent on having empathy and ethically just doing what's right. And that's how we get past equity to actually thinking about justice actually thinking about how our industry has perpetuated keeping certain people on the other side of the tracks, keeping some certain people out of the process and really trying to get to a place where we're not just fighting for equity, but we're actually fighting, um, you know, in, in the black community, something we say is we're, we're fighting to get free. And that's really why I do this work for, for mobility, for, for freedom, for folks to move to the places they want to go, see the people they want to do, and do it with dignity. And I think that's how we get from equity
0: to a more just society. If you look at transportation organizations such as ITE, how can they best help their members incorporate equity considerations into their thinking, and maybe even more importantly, into their decisions?
1: When I when I was getting on this podcast and I was
0: talking to to my colleagues, uh, some of them
1: engineers, they were like, "Don't try to change the Institute of Transportation Engineers to the Institute of uh, Transportation Equity uh, unless you have some concrete uh, concrete <laughs> ideas." Because we're engineers, we like concrete ideas, um, and and we're giving me a hard time and. And I actually like that. In one vein, I say there's no perfect cookie-cutter solutions, but there are best practices. And I do think one of the reasons some people don't talk about equity is because they are intimidated. It feels like, especially when you say something like our industry has perpetuated past wrongs and we have to be willing to you know, face a history of systematic oppression and racism—that seems huge to folks. And so, having those concrete solutions where you can help people realize that we all have a role to play is is really important. And the way I help people understand that is, I often, you know, I often talk about my wife and I. We have a son uh, who is biracial and we've decided that we want to make sure he knows he's a you know a black man because even though he is biracial many people in the world will only see him as a black man and so it would be irresponsible if we didn't raise him that way so he knew what that entailed my wife who is white doesn't get to step back and say well i'm not black so you're going to handle raising him right Anyone you talk to would be like, Oh, that sounds like a recipe for disaster in that relationship. She's just gonna walk away and let you do all the raising and it's the same when we talk about our transportation work. Just because it, it seems overwhelming and hard, once folks decide that they want to incorporate equity, they can't just say, Okay, well, I'm gonna leave that from someone else to do and I'm gonna I support it, but I'm gonna walk away. And so if if you can do it, how you know how? some best practices are think about creating equity focus you know task force or initiatives um, to take a, a deeper look into what's going on at your organization and what you could be doing, and that really means looking at trainings. You know, you're not going to run a marathon without training first. This is this is a marathon. This is a long fight. Our country has had a long history of racism, so it's gonna it's gonna take a long time to right that ship. And no one wants you to run that marathon without training. And so think about who's out there, who's providing these resources, who can you hire, and who can you seek to get these trainings you can make small decisions. Who are you buying your lunch from for staff um, luncheons? You know, are you going to local businesses owned by underrepresented folks, um, people of color? Are you doing that? And so, you know, people think sometimes that the only way to measure progress on equity initiatives are by big wins. But what we don't realize is that True change and true cultural shift comes from small things. We need the big wins, and sometimes there are easy fixes that you can make that are big, right? But sometimes it's just those small changes. Sometimes it's just somebody saying, when, when I do workshops, I always try to end them and say, what's something you want to start doing, what's something you want to stop doing, and what's something you want to do more of? And as an individual, that could mean, you know, I want to read more press that's written by authors of color. There are reporters who are authors of color, and I want to read what they're writing about the transportation system. I'm going to read this book I heard was really good. People say White Fragility is a good book. I'm going to read it. And so it doesn't have to be world-shifting, earth-shattering, but it has to be something. You have to always be moving forward towards that more just society.
0: Well, Tamika, this has been a, a fascinating discussion and one I'm sorry to see come to a close, but thank you so much for being our guest. Our guest on this month's edition of the podcast, the ITE Talks Transportation Podcast, has been Tamika Butler. Again, she's the Director of Equity and Inclusion, as well as the California Planning Director for Tool Design. She also has her own business, Tamika L. Butler Consulting. Tameka, thanks so much for being our guest. Thank you so much, Bernie. This was great. Have a good day. If you'd like to learn more on equity from Tamika Butler and the team at Tool Design, check out their feature article in the February ITE Journal.